there is guilt and shame associated with who you should choose as your real estate agent. <laughs> oh man, yeah. if I don't choose this person, I'm going to get guilt or shame from them or, or or they might not be friends with me or I feel like I'm supposed to. What I kind of pinpoint in what you just described is the idea of scarcity mindset. Scarcity mindset really makes people, as salespeople, it makes us relatively self-centered. Yeah. When it's like you described and somebody does have a scarcity mindset, not only is it the wrong thing for them to do, but that person also is probably not going to serve them well right. with that same mindset. Yeah. Right. I'm here to tell you if they're going to, you know that they will guilt or shame you, then really they don't care about you. They mm. care about the money they're going to get from you. And that's the last thing you want when choosing an agent or any financial professional. Welcome to the Stewardship Podcast, where we help you understand that stewardship is about more than just your finances. My name is Daniel, and I'm joined today by Grant Padma. Hello, Grant. Hello. Hi. And we have invited a very special guest back to the show, Mark Shipley. Hello. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I don't know if I've told you this yet, Mark, but um, I get feedback from time to time about our content that we produce, whether it's a video or a blog or, or a podcast. And... Um, your podcast episode that you were on last time when you talked to us about selling a home and how to be a good steward of that process. Mm -hmm. Recently, I've gotten a lot of really good feedback about that episode in particular. Um, so I'm very excited to have you back on because the information that you share, I think, does really well in podcast format. And a lot of people, it makes them think like, oh, you know what? Yes, I, I do want that in that particular process. And it, this does help me become a better steward of that. So I'm pumped about this. That's very cool. Yeah, that's going to be great. So today we are going to be talking about the process of choosing the right realtor to work with. How do, how do you choose? I mean, Mark, for me, I've never worked with a realtor to buy a house or sell a house. For me to start the process, I, I mean, I would know where to begin because I'm going to go to stewardship because I trust <laughs> you guys and I work here. But for everyone else, how do we know who to work with? And, and I, I feel like I need to interrupt like because... <laughs> Everybody who's listening knows a realtor probably, right? There's I a, think statistically everyone knows a realtor. Yeah, like I, I think statistically everyone knows three or four realtors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a lot of times um, folks just choose the person they, they know the best, they have the closest relationship with, um, which there's value to that because you're about to walk through a transaction um, and having a relationship with somebody that, that you trust is, is important. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm here to tell you – um, that I have witnessed countless, countless transactions where because the realtor was absent or made mistakes or was not intentional about certain things, mm. things went really bad for the client. Sadly, wow. sadly. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that, that all realtors are bad. I mean, Mark Shipley is a realtor. I own a real estate agency, right? <laughs> so uh, obviously, I'm not here to say that. But what I'm communicating is that you are not being a good steward of choosing your realtor simply by picking your aunt who you know does real estate. And, and mm. this, this, this podcast is going to challenge people. And hopefully this podcast does more than challenge people but makes people think through like, oh, yeah, this is important and this is a process I need to be a better steward of. And hopefully people can be encouraged after being challenged. That's my hope. So I have a thought. Yeah. Um, 
it 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 kind of popped in. You know, we made a little list in advance here, and this thought is, sits outside that list just a little bit. So it will not make I'm it a, into I'm the a, show. I'm going <laughs> to di- I'm going to digress for just a moment and talk a little bit about um, perception. Yeah. Right. So, mm. how do people perceive the need to have a realtor? Mm. Right. Before they make the choice to go pick a realtor, and mm. when I when I say perception. Um, I think that people, when they dream about the process of buying a home, they they dream in mostly optimistic terms. Yeah, right? they don't they yeah. don't dream in pessimistic terms. They dream in optimistic terms, like what can I get? How can it go? They dream about you know, uh, I find a house and then I get into contract on a house and it's perfect, and then I move into the house and I plant some little daisies and I have a little child and and I get a raise and I have a white picket fence and then I go on about my life. And, you know, I live happily ever after, right? And so people kind of think of the process that way. Um, And they don't really think about problems and challenges and difficulty in the process of buying a house. Now, you know, for a lot of people, they'll stop and think about it and say, well, okay, yeah. So maybe the first version is a little optimistic and you do need somebody who has some expertise. But um, then you come off of seasons like we've been in the last, I don't know, whatever, four or five years. It's been a pretty... Um, pretty aggressive upward mobile market, right? Prices going up and lots of transactions happening. And there's this kind of idea or thought that can enter the marketplace that a realtor services has become commoditized. You Mm. guys know what I mean by that? Yeah, totally. So it's this idea that you're kind of a placeholder. Uh You don't really bring any real service to the table. Mm. You're just sort of a necessary evil almost. You know, they've got to be involved sure. in the contract to get some basic mechanical things done. I found but, my house on Zillow anyways, and I just brought it to my aunt who is an agent or whatever, right? Yeah. Right. So isn't a realtor just an administrative guy? Yeah, they're who, just doing the contract. Yeah, writes the piece of paper and opens escrow. And what else do they do? Mm-hmm. I, I don't really know, right? But mm-hmm. you need one, right? Right. So it, it kind of reminds me of insurance a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like nobody wants to buy insurance. No. It's like one of the more loathsome things to spend money on is to buy insurance. But my gosh, when you need it, oh my gosh, you're so glad that you have it, right? Yeah. So there's so many things that are like that in life where um, you know, you make a choice to cut a corner or a shortcut and then you pay the price for it when all of a sudden what you thought you were paying for doesn't actually meet the need that you have. Mm-hmm. And it costs you immeasurably in that process. So real estate services are a lot like that in that um, people assume the process is easy. They assume that most transactions go well, when in fact, the reality is that they don't. Mm. I've often defined for clients that um, a a real estate transaction, when you break it down, is nothing more than a set of problems that have to be solved, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And you you say that to a buyer client and they're like, oh, what do you mean? What do you, <laughs> I thought I'd just picked that up. Yeah, so it's a set of problems to be solved. And my job as a real estate agent is to make you experience the process as though those problems either don't exist or another analogy I've used in the past is a baseball analogy, right? If you took an amateur and stuck him up in front of a pro pitcher mm-hmm. who was throwing a 110-mile-per-hour fastball, and the ball came straight at their face, it'd probably, you know, smash their nose in at the very least and send them off to the hospital. But as an intermediary, I can step in front of that fastball and I can catch it with the appropriate tool and I can take the ball out of the glove and turn around and hand it to my client softly so that they don't get smashed in the face by the problem. 
right? Yeah. So again, so when I say a transaction is a set of problems to be solved, my goal is to solve them in such a way that my client ends up having this really, really great experience. And that is invaluable to the client's interests. Yeah. So, and, and sometimes people just do have those really good experiences and then they think, well, did I need you mm. or not need you? And then I guess, you know, communication becomes essential in that process so that they understand what you're doing behind the scenes and how you're serving them. And the fun thing is, based on the, some of the stuff that you've outlined that we're going to talk about in this this episode, not only are people going to learn how to be a good steward of this process of choosing choosing the right agent, uh, but they're also going to learn a little bit about some of the stuff that does happen behind the scenes. And some people are just going to find that interesting. Now, there is another reality that there is guilt and shame associated with who you should choose as your real estate agent. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. if I don't choose this person they're going to be upset at me. Mm-hmm. I, I need to choose this this person to be my agent because if I don't, I'm going to get guilt or shame from them or, or, or they might not be friends with me or I feel like I'm supposed to because I'm in a relationship with them. I'm here to tell you this. <laughs> if you choose an agent or anybody to work with just based on that guilt or shame because you know that that person will get guilt or shame you, you shouldn't work with that person. Mm. And here's why. If they're going to, you know that they will guilt or shame you, then really they don't care about you. They mm. care about the money they're going to get from you. And that's the last thing you want when choosing an agent or any financial professional. Look, I'm I'm just going to be honest. Daniel, Mark, there are times when people come to me and and I've heard that they've they've used somebody else for a home loan or or for real estate or investments or insurance, right? Yeah. And I don't get mad at that. My first initial question was, did you get served well? How was that? And if they did get served well, I celebrate it because that's what matters. Mm. And and even though we own a real estate agency, we're telling people how to choose the right realtor and we'd be honored for people to use us. What matters most in this podcast episode to me is that you listeners learn how to be a good steward of this process so that you can pick an awesome agent out there. And there's a ton of them that are awesome, like Stewardship Realty, but I want you to get served well. And hopefully... Hopefully, when you're going to choose an an agent, you don't have to deal with that guilt or shame because you know that that's selfish and that you can choose somebody who's awesome, who is going to serve and love you well. Short of just saying that it's flat out unprofessional, right? (laughs) Um, What I I would say, what I I kind of pinpoint in what you just described is the idea of scarcity mindset. Mm. Mm. And scarcity mindset really makes people, as salespeople, it makes us relatively self-centered. Yeah. Right? If If you don't believe... Where you know that the, the next meal is going to come, it's really hard to sit in confidence and give somebody really objective advice that doesn't mm-hmm. somehow, you know, benefit them a little bit. Yeah. Right? And so their desire to influence you to work with them. I mean, there is some real sales at, at play there sometimes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and sometimes things are equal, and and two people are equally qualified, and the person who's the best salesperson should win, mm-hmm. right? But when it's like you described, and somebody does have a scarcity mindset, not only is it the wrong thing for them to do, but that person also is probably not going to serve them well right. with that same mindset, Yeah. right? So, Yeah, the guilt and shame is, is that they're going to put on you reveals uh, a little bit of how about they might respond in the transaction mm-hmm. if or probably when 
adversity comes, right? And that's not good. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited about this this episode uh, because I think some of the details we're going to line out are going to be awesome. But, you know, as many of you guys know, at Stewardship, we do real estate, home loans, insurance, and investments. And we not only want to share with you how to be a good steward of particular things, but we want to share with you a one-minute money tip. Let's hit it with it. You ever get your auto insurance renewal and wonder, what did I do to deserve this increase? Well, when it comes to insurance rates, there are things you can control and things you can't. One thing you can't control is the overall profitability of the carrier you are with. Now, you have a little bit of an impact on that, but the profitability is made up of several different factors. Simply put, the more profitable the carrier is, the better that is for your rates and vice versa. And you have next to no control over that. Now, for one thing you can control, that's your credit score. Now, while insurance carriers don't actually pull your credit, nor does your insurance policy affect your credit score, they do assign you a credit-based insurance score by reviewing your credit history. Credit-based insurance scores, among other things, are designed to predict the likelihood that you'll file an insurance claim. In short, your credit score can impact your insurance rates, and the better your score, the better your rates. So at the risk of uh, being a little uh, self-promotional, if, if you do have a family member who is a realtor or a, a close friend who's a realtor that's that you don't know how to tell them that you're going to work with someone else, we mm. do have a podcast about <laughs> how to have difficult conversations. Yeah. So I'll put a link to that one, that episode in the description. But yeah, as we've, as we've said, if they're going to guilt and shame you, then they may not represent you in the best way. And yeah. so at the end of this episode... Hopefully you'll be provided with some practical wisdom and some kind of criteria uh, of things to think through as you're looking for a realtor and, and working with people. Um, and it might not be that family member. Yeah. So, hopefully it is. Like, ho- hopefully yeah. that family member is really awesome and is able to do all of these things really, really well, you know? Uh, but if not, this, this helps you understand who, who to choose. Yeah. All right. So, Mark. You've given us a great list. It's not like a checklist, per se, that people need to go through to, to hold right. up against who they're considering working with. Right. That's not how this works. We were talking yesterday about kind of how to even frame this episode, and I was like, well, how do you know if you're working with the right realtor? And, and you helped me see that's not even quite the right question to ask. Like, it's not a checklist type of question. I mean, there are people out there that would, you know, happily take a list of questions and go sit and sit it in front of five different agents and ask them all <laughs> mm-hmm. these questions. But for a lot of people, they're it's a very that'd be very confrontational. Yeah. Um I would I would argue that the process of picking a realtor is 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 really a lot of common sense. Mm. Right? It's really about feelings. Um so we'll just talk about number 1 on the list up there is bedside manner. Right? right. So bedside manner is something that, you know, we all sort of like go through through life and you know, it's a doctor analogy, right? Like mm-hmm. how does your doctor treat you when you're sitting in a medical bed or whatever and mm-hmm. are they nice? Are they abrupt? Are they gruff? Are they this or that or whatever? Um but you you know, we have experiences with quote unquote bedside manner at the grocery store, right? The checkout yeah. clerk or with you know, the pest control guy that shows up at your house or mm-hmm. the contractor you're using to remodel your master bedroom or whatever. And everybody kind of knows the experience they're looking for in that regard, right? The person the, the person that is kind mm-hmm. and communicative 
and sets boundaries and follows up and, you know, does all the things that we, you know, we how we want to be treated, like we try and treat others how we want to be treated, right? Yeah. Um, those things show up. And it's it, again, it's not rocket science specifically designed for real estate to know what good bedside manner means. But sometimes I think that we can kind of like use a checklist of things that we we hope, like, do you have area knowledge about the particular <laughs> neighborhood I live in, right? Mm-hmm. And that might become more important to you than is this guy nice? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is he yeah. kind? Yeah. Does he communicate well? Yeah. Does he treat me like an idiot when I ask him questions? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So bedside manner is is one of the more common sense items on the list yeah. that um, like really people should use it as an immediate red flag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because as, as good as somebody might say that they are, if you can't get comfortable with working with them, they're just a bad realtor for you right out the gate. Yeah. Right. It doesn't mean they're a bad realtor. They may be Correct. great at every other thing we're going to talk about today. But if you and them can't get on the same page and, and communicate, right. it's not going to be a good process for There's anyone. nothing wrong with water and there's nothing wrong with oil. But <laughs> when you put them together, they just don't mix, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's the idea is that you know you need a good matchup personality-wise, communication-wise. Some people are super laid back and they need somebody super laid back. Some people are high D-driven decision makers and they need somebody who can snap to it right mm-hmm. and get things done um and there's different styles out there and and so that would be you know point number one is to make sure that you can communicate well and that you're going to be comfortable working with that level of communication um and, yeah and value system even comes yeah. into play in that right and, and beyond the what you're communicating about hey is this going to be a good fit for us relationally through a transaction because that's really what you're, you're figuring out um, it reminds me a lot about some of our conversations that we've had about emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. right? And and to define emotional intelligence, it's how well – or sorry, how aware of others are you and how aware of yourself are you? Mm-hmm. Is the person that you're going to work with self-aware and others aware? And and if they're really good at those two things, they're likely going to be – have great bedside manner as well. And I think this yeah. is this is great advice. Yeah. Mark, you mentioned that some people might like to have a checklist and sit down with five realtors and interview them. And it just made me think, is it is it standard and is it acceptable for me as someone who's never even chosen a realtor to, to just meet up with a realtor and talk before even in, beginning to engage in, I want to sell my house? This is such a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I personally would even encourage people to resist the idea that, um, you know, that first meeting has almost too much structure to it. So, mm-hmm. for instance, if you're planning to sell your house and you want to sit down and meet with that realtor and the realtor pressures you to do it at your house um, mm-hmm. and you feel a little weird about that, that, um, yeah, maybe that's a situation to back away from, right? You mm-hmm. want You want a comfortable environment to be able to just – you know, ask some questions and get get a kind of feeling from the person and, and see whether they're right to work with without feeling like you really quickly you're going to get your arm twisted up behind your back. That's great. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm getting ready to look for a house or to try to sell my house, I may, and I don't have a realtor already lined up, I may want to find a few online, you know, check out their online presence and then s- set an, an appointment with each of them 
over the course of a couple of weeks. You, you might be playing Russian roulette if you're finding them online. Yeah. Okay. So um, a better yeah. a better suggestion would be to ask a few friends or family members for a trusted referral. Mm-hmm. Trusted okay. referral is always going to be a better place to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and if you already have a relationship with a lender, perhaps mm-hmm. if you have a mortgage guy, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hey, who's your favorite realtor? Because I I didn't. I didn't want to work with the last one again or, or whatever. Right. Maybe ask some, a... some people really overlook that idea, right? They they look into the, the, the purchase process and they see, oh, well, I need a realtor and I need a lender. What difference does it make whether either of them have worked together in the past or know each other? And, you know, one of the benefits we have here at Stewardship is we have this term we call a hand-in-glove relationship, which we kind of mm-hmm. use, you know, from a marketing standpoint, but it's got real weight behind it in terms mm-hmm. of the truth of it, right, that – when you when you ask a lender for a realtor referral, they're going to refer you to somebody that they have an active working relationship with, which will make the problem-solving process going through the transaction much smoother if everybody's kind of on the same page and they have experience with each other and those kinds of things. Great. Yeah. All right. I'm not going to be Googling uh, realtor in my area. <laughs> then I'll be asking around. Um, so the, the second point here we have is shepherd the experience. A good realtor should be able to shepherd the experience, which I think sounds really nice, <laughs> but I don't know what it means. <laughs> well, there's there's three points up there that kind of go together. So shepherd the experience. Um, the next one is to um, – yeah, a realtor should be able to make a process seem simple and comfortable, even though it may be very complex yeah. and overwhelming or uncomfortable because it's overwhelming or because there's a bunch of unknowns in the sure. process, right? And as fun as it is to think about a real estate transaction, there is a lot of overwhelm there. So this is huge, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the third point there is process-driven. So every realtor you work with should have some kind of process for you to step into. Mm-hmm. And so all three of those things kind of go together. So when you say shepherd the experience, um, I think of like um, like an orchestra conductor, right? Okay. Because – you know, some people don't really think ahead of time about how many people get involved in a real estate transaction. So you've got mm-hmm. the realtor, the lender, the home inspector, the termite guy, a contractor, a plumber. Um, you know, afterwards, there's, you know, there's security alarm guys calling you. And there's any number that I, I heard it once said there's as many as 13 different trades involved in a real estate transaction, depending like wow. sewer, sewer inspection. And it goes on and on and on. Right. Um, and so I think of the analogy of a of a of an orchestra conductor because they've got the wand up and they're like, you first and you second and you third and everybody's working together and it's all getting done when it's supposed to get done. Um, and nobody on the podcast can see me waving my arms around. <laughs> it's kind of funny. We can imagine. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, when you're shepherding an experience, um, another term we used in a previous conversation was this idea of being a safety net underneath mm. the entire process, right? I think of like a, like a trapeze artist you know, at any time, no matter what they're doing, there's this safety net that's always underneath them. So if something yeah. happens, the safety net catches you and the problem gets solved and it's moved back into, into line or whatever. Or whatever. Um, so yeah. that's what shepherding experience is really all about. Plus, yeah. it's also – it has this, this idea of kind of a loving father, mm-hmm. right? So it's not just this sterile – like robotic thing you're going through. This is somebody that you trust and you'll mm-hmm. build a relationship with and that you you might care about at the end and they are, they will definitely care about you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so sh- a shepherd is somebody that has that kind of softer edge to it but then has all the skills to keep all the pieces together and move, move everything along. You know, I, we uh, just finished a meeting with the mortgage team and real estate team prior to coming in to, to this podcast. 
And as we're talking as a team of how to create even better experiences for clients, one of the, the examples that I, that I gave is we don't just drift into a transaction. We're going to design things. So part of that meeting was to intentionally design even more things that we could do to create a better customer experience. And this is something I do as part of my job every year at the Founders Retreat when meetings with teams. We're always trying to turn dials and make things better. And in that meeting, I, I, I gave an example of what Mark has done in my experience with Mark over the last 20 some years. And what he just said as, as like a uh, conductor, you know, bibbity boppity boo, like with the <laughs> wand, like making things happen. Like that's literally what he does. There's so many people that are involved in a transaction yeah. that, that it's not just what sadly a lot of agents do, which is uh, get the Deal signed and contract, send it to the right people, and hopefully it closes and just wait around. Like every day, in every transaction, there is something that could be done, followed up with, information to be gathered. And the client may not know any of that stuff is happening. But, again, we, we've got some bibbidi-bobbidi-boo happening in the background where th- you know, pumpkins are turning into carriages and we're moving mm-hmm. things along the way. And, and that's kind of what, what Mark is talking about. I'd like to tie the concepts we're talking about back to the original question, and that yeah. is – how do you pick a real estate agent, right? Like how do you, how yeah. do you make a decision about a good real estate agent? Because all that's great if it happens in the transaction, but that's after you've made that choice, mm-hmm. right? right? So it, it, to simplify it down to its most distilled form, I would say it's really about really good, solid expectation setting and communication, Ooh. Mm-hmm. right? So if you're evaluating somebody as to whether or not they'd be a good agent, you're asking about their experience or you're asking them about recent transactions or a friend of yours that they worked with. How, why did that Why did that go well? Why did it go bad? Um, or whatever. You get a chance to evaluate the way they might set expectations for you and how they will communicate with you. So if it's hard to ask them questions and get them to answer um, in a material way that satisfies your answer, that again, that might not be the right person for you to work with. Um, if yeah. you get a sense that they would do a good job of setting expectations for you and then following through and communicating well, then those would be really great points. So if they can give um, examples and they're not scared of talking about potential roadblocks that might be a part of the transaction in the future and how they plan to overcome those objectives with you, that might be somebody – Who's who's going to be shepherd the experience, right? That might be somebody who has a process that they're going to, going to go through. Um, that I, I think that's a great thing to think through. Is like, well, what does that look like on a real level? Well, somebody who's willing to talk about the problems that might come mm-hmm. and what they do to help you overcome that. Is there a particular problem, Mark, that sometimes happens in transactions so that when you're talking to say a potential buyer, that you let them know, hey, heads up. Something like this could happen in the transaction, and this is what we do. Uh, simple, right? So if I'm talking to a new client and I'm trying to convince them to work with me, mm-hmm. um, so I might detail them lightly, surface level, mm-hmm. through the different steps of the contract process. Yeah. Right? So That we, shows you have a process, right? When right. you're showing there's mm-hmm. steps. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you talk about contingencies, we talk about contingencies in contracts that protect the buyer. Sometimes they don't know what you're talking about. And so mm-hmm. – you can explain those things to them and what they protect. And the context in which contingencies might get used to take action in a contract and protect them. So we have an inspection contingency, an appraisal contingency, and a loan contingency. All are ways to exit the contract very, very safely mm. um, and without it costing the buyer any money. Right? Yeah, somebody mm. might go into a contract saying, I have to buy this house, but man, what about – 
through the process. If I find something I don't like, that's what you're talking about here, right? How do I get out of this? Right. Yeah. Um, the example I was thinking of uh, that I would you know, talk to every buyer about ahead of time is appraisal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's one of those deals where like oh, if it just goes well, then we don't worry about it, right? Appraisal mm-hmm. goes and comes. You know, you're verifying the value of the home. That's what an appraisal does. Yeah. And so there's two possible outcomes. Either the house appraises or it doesn't. Well, actually, there's a third. It could appraise, but then there could be some conditions that have to be met in order for that appraisal to be validated. Yeah. So there are three possibilities there. So, you know, a, a good agent would know in advance to set the expectation that those three possibilities could happen. Yeah. Right? If you don't, then you're just communicating the idea that, oh, appraisal happens and it's just a step that you go through. Right. And then you hit a brick wall because the appraisal comes in below the value and then what? Mm. Right. Then am I the buyer? Have to buy this home that's higher than what it's really valued at? Right. Yeah. That's the question they're asking. Yeah. So in my own kind of mental thought processes, I always lay out all the possibilities, every possible outcome, mm-hmm. and then what action you would take in each of those outcomes. Mm-hmm. Right. So and then if you if you can't get cooperation from the seller, that's that's one of those possible outcomes. Right. So if an appraisal comes in low. Well, suddenly the lender doesn't want to give you all the money that right. you're trying to borrow. And if they're not going to give you all the money that you're trying to borrow, there's only so many ways that problem can be solved. You either, A, have to come out of pocket some money. Mm-hmm. B, you've got to get the seller to cooperate with lowering the price to match the appraisal. Or C, you just cancel the deal mm-hmm. because sometimes you just can't bridge the gap and make mm-hmm. it work, right? So one of those three things could happen. And what you just did was an example of one of your points, make simple and comfortable what can be complex. As somebody mm-hmm. was listening to this just now, they're like hearing Mark talk about this appraisal issue on this podcast, mm-hmm. and that can feel overwhelming and complicated. Wait, why doesn't the lender want to give money? Yeah, how, right. How does that happen? But you just said, well, there's three things, and you just A, B, C. Like that is – that's a big deal. And, yeah. and who you're working with needs to be able to communicate in, in such a way. That's so good. Yeah. When, when you have something happen in a contract – Appraisal happens. You might know that an appraisal is going to happen. But when you don't know what happens if it doesn't go well, then you add two things to the to the situation. You add a, a, a non-expectation has been set for you, like uh, uh, this wasn't supposed to happen. I didn't expect this, and I don't know what happens because mm-hmm. my expectation didn't get met. And then you also add emotion to the situation, right? Yeah. And so this is that – this goes back to that baseball analogy – like if you had if you haven't had your expectations set about the problem that could occur, it's like getting the baseball in the face. Mm. Yeah. Right? And then you need like major surgery to survive. Whereas if an agent sets your expectations, they're stepping in front of that fastball and they're catching it with a soft mitt and saying, Here are your solutions, pick. Right? Mm. We talked about this in advance. Um and I'm gonna hand you this ball and it's not gonna hurt you and we're gonna solve this problem and we're gonna get through it. Yeah. So that's that's the difference between it's almost the like before scenarios. the transaction happens you're you know putting your arm around the client showing them hey this is baseball here's the pitch here's what it looks like this is going to happen we'll be prepared for it and i'm here to protect you instead of going in a contract and just throwing him in the batter's box you know like that's <laughs> that's tough that's rough there's, so there's there's also two perspectives right one is the 30,000 foot view which you kind of talk about up yeah, front yeah yeah you fly over the whole transaction and explain the major building blocks mm-hmm. and then there's the helicopter flying right over the top of the tree treetops right yeah. where you're moving through each step mm-hmm. and reminding them what you've already talked about one time right like okay we're coming up on that appraisal remember we talked about the possible options that could happen as a result of appraisal mm. we hope everything will go well but if 
if it doesn't, here's the path that we're going to be on. Yeah. So we've done a great job talking about bedside manner and emotional intelligence, shepherding the experience. Okay, what does that really look like? It's making simple and comfortable what's complex, making sure there is a process, communicating ahead of time what issues could could be there and what you're going to do overwhelm them. But you also have another point in here, Mark. Knows how to play well with others <laughs> to negotiate benefits for the client. Uh, it's kind of funny to think through, but dang, that's important. What does that sound like? What does that look like in reality? Uh, in a word? Yeah. Kindness. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm. I, I mean, you, you really – like. There, well, and let me say two words, kindness and confidence. Okay. Right? Because when you put the two together, you disarm people. And that doesn't mean you have to be preparing to manipulate them. Right. But when you're kind and you're confident, people submit to your authority. And that's not just your clients. That could be the other agent in the deal. That could be the lender in the deal. That could be the home inspector. Like if you're trying to figure out how to coordinate schedules and things are tight and someone's not available, a relationship and kindness and respect can get you at the front of the line. Right. Um, In negotiating, you know, one of the things that, um, is super valuable to me is that kindness and confidence produces is rapport. So when you have good rapport with the other agent, I don't know what it is, but the more of that you have, the more information they'll give you. Yeah. And, and some pushback on this might be, well, Hey, this is a contract. This is a negotiation. I want my agent to go in there like a Rottweiler on rabies and go nuts. Right. (laughs) Right. But here's, here's the problem with that. Uh, honey goes a lot further than vinegar in most situations. But then you just mentioned rapport. Mm-hmm. Mark, how many times do you find yourself in contract with an agent that you worked with a few months ago or a few years ago and you have previous rapport, not just in the transaction, but in a previous transaction? And now negotiations for your client go a little differently. It, it happens. Yeah. But the real skill, in my opinion, is if you can create that. In a brand new relationship. Wow. You have the skill and gifting to create that in a brand new relationship, right? Yes. To disarm another agent that you're going to work with and create this idea that we are all on the same page, we're all rowing the same direction, and we're all trying to get benefits for both of our clients, right? Yeah. So if you can establish that as the purpose and the motive and the and the kind of like environment that we're all stepping into, then it's a lot easier to get information to flow and to – you know, quite honestly, it's good for both clients in the transaction, but you which know, is a win transaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, you know, my interest is for my client always. Right. So right. any information I can get the other party to reveal to me that might help my client is always a good thing. Yeah, and and it sounds like more than just play well with others, Daniel. It sounds like I just want somebody who's really great at being a friend to the other agent too, so yeah. that we can win together. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if I'm going to buy a house or I'm going to sell my house, I am one half of a transaction. Is in a home purchase transaction, is there a winner and a loser? Ooh. Or could could there be another option? Well, can everybody win in a in a a home transaction? Well, I would argue that the goal is win-win. Yeah. Everybody gets what they want with some sense of compromise. Love that. It doesn't right. have to be a zero sum. Zero sum, meaning, meaning one person gets everything and the other person yeah. gets nothing? Yeah. Well, there are transactions that can get pushed too far. Right? Seller mark, seller's markets routinely produce this extreme imbalance, mm. um, and that's not great. But at the end of the day, you know, even in a market where there's 10 buyers who want to buy one house, 
you know, every buyer still has to make a decision to write whatever offer they think is going to get accepted. Mm-hmm. And if that means they have to pay $50,000 more for the house, well, that kind of sucks. And you might think of that as win-lose. Right. But they are making a decision to do that. They're making a decision to play. Mm-hmm. So even in that context, it's a very, very severe compromise. But I would I would still argue it's it's a win-win. But sellers can be very unfair in those contexts. So you just have to be careful of that. And, and one of the other kind of sub points that you have listed here, Mark, is negotiation isn't all about price. It's about exchange of value. And what's valuable to a buyer may not be what's valuable to a seller. And part of building that rapport, I would argue, that is is trying to figure out what's valuable to both and see if we can have both value sets met, right? And that would yeah. probably be the win-win. Mark, would you talk a little bit about that? What's an example maybe about how it's not always about price, but there is value somewhere mm. else outside the dollar? The, the almighty dollar sign tends to be the pink elephant in the room for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. But it is not the only animal crawling around, right? So yeah. <laughs> that's a weird analogy, but um, uh, there's all kinds of things, yeah. right? So. Um, people experience all kinds of stress related to their personal circumstances. And yes. one of those things might be the timing in which oh, they are yeah. forced to move out of their home. Um, somebody selling a home and buying another home in what we have today, a very low inventory market, they have a lot of anxiety about where they're going to live after they sell their home. Yeah. So they might um, they might benefit from the idea that a buyer would be cooperative with them doing a lease back. Yeah. Um, either for free or for a predetermined rent amount, yeah. right? So there's still some money involved in that, but this, the sheer fact that the buyer would be willing to do that might make them willing to take even less money for the house if they know that they can get their need met in that yeah. way. So that's yeah. that's one of those things. You know, the housing market is different than most markets. It's not just financial because it has to do with shelter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually living personal. under a roof, it's very personal. Uh, so... What can be valuable to one is maybe something as it relates to that shelter situation, as you're mentioning. So another one, just another quick example on that front. And it seems like the more baby boomers are moving on from this world, the less and less this is true. But Mm. there there was a time, and not not too distant time, um, where I, I, I had repeat experiences where a couple would be selling a home and they were empty nesting. And they had raised their kids in the home. They'd been there for an ex- in excess of 20 years. And then they would put their house on the market and they would say, I just don't want to sell this home to somebody who's going to rent it out. I'd really like to rent mm. it to a nice family. Or sell it to a nice family. To yeah. sell, sell it to a nice yeah. family who will come in and use it how we used it. So the value to them is that their memory would be preserved by the like the passing on to the next generation, so to speak. And I have literally seen clients walk away from as much as $20,000 to make that reality happen. Mm. Wow. The shelter is now a legacy that they want to see moved on. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you, very first home that me and my wife bought, anytime we're in or around the neighborhood, I still drive by it and sometimes take my kids and I look to see if the palm trees that I planted are growing and what's going on. And <laughs> it's weird, but that's just a reality. Now, the last step that we have on here, the last talking point, is something that Mark mentioned before, Mm -hmm. and that is be a safety net underneath the entire process. If we want to be a good steward of choosing the right realtor, we want to have somebody who's willing to be that, be a safety net under the entire process. Now, Daniel, you and and Heather are are, are looking into buying a home for the very first time. This is becoming Mm -hmm. more and more part of the conversation for you guys. Before we have Mark answer that question, what does that sound like to you as a client 
oh man, a safety net as a first time home buyer? What kind of feelings or thoughts do you have around that even topic? Yeah. As you mentioned, it's dealing with shelter. It's dealing with where my wife and daughter and I are going to spend a large portion of our time. You know, I this transaction is important to me. Mm. Um, just like when, when buying a car, like you, you look at the value of the cars and everything and the features, but I also think about safety. Mm. I want my family to be protected. So in, in the context of a realtor, uh, someone who's a safety net is somebody who's going to know about things that could go wrong, like we've mm. talked about. Know those those pitfalls ahead of time to help me watch out for them. And also somebody who's going to uh, to keep in the baseball analogy, you know, go up to bat for me. <laughs> yeah. So, so Mark, how, how does a good realtor quell some of those thoughts, maybe particularly of a first-time home buyer, but in general be a good safety net? Well, it relates back to the process-driven statement in mm. there. Um, there's all kinds of like this will this will touch for your listeners, I think, a little bit. Um, mm. The idea of multitasking, right? Like, can keep a lot of balls in the air at one time without anything falling on the floor. Yeah, um, it's process-driven leads to this idea of organization, yeah. and it's true that mm. a, a, that a transaction can be organized to control what is essentially pretty fast-moving water, right? It's like holding on to a fire hose yeah. sometimes, right? It kind of get out of control. Um, but there's multiple things that have to be done simultaneously. So the process-driven or task-driven side of an agent and their ability to multitask and hold different ideas in 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 balance at the same time is is kind of what that's talking about, right? There's a... the safety the safety net is to prevent things from falling on the floor. Right. This is the right. process from falling on the floor and going boom, right? Well, mm-hmm. part of the the real estate transaction, there's a buyer, there's a seller, there's a buyer's agent, seller's agent, there's a title company, there's probably an assistant at the title company. There's a mortgage loan originator, their processor, there's an underwriter, there is an appraiser, there's an appraisal management company, there's mm-hmm. Fannie Mae, probably Freddie Mac, maybe there's DU. I, I'm going on and on and on and on and on and on. You haven't all... even touched the trades yet. No, I haven't. <laughs> and you, you talk about the termite inspector and the other inspector. It, all of those things are all the balls that are up in the air. Mm-hmm. And as I say that, I'm looking at Daniel, his eyes get wider, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, this I, don't, all... I don't want to talk to all these people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so who, as an agent, is not only willing to have a process to manage all those balls in the air and know which one gets thrown which direction at the right time to create the best but if somebody makes a mistake, because we're all humans and mistakes happen, is the agent willing to be that safety net to catch that and to protect the client and to ensure that the things move forward properly? It's important that you, there's a little like chaos filter brought in there as well. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, up to a certain level of busyness, mm-hmm. and, and people relate to this, right? Like you can be so busy with how you're designed and you can be productive. But the second you're like even 10% more busy, all of a sudden it, it's sort of like being in front of the pitching machine Yeah, and one's coming every 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Ah, I can set up and prep for that and I can hit the ball, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden somebody sneaks in there and, and cranks it up to one every 15 seconds and yeah. then one every 10 seconds and then one every five seconds. And next thing you know, balls are coming at you so fast that all of them are falling on the floor Yeah, mm-hmm. and you can't even hit one of them, mm-hmm. right? It's it's a why I have so much pride in in what we do here at Stewardship. Daniel, you're here as a, a media producer doing so much for the team, and we're able to produce some media for 
our real estate team and, and, and have done that lately, right? We mm-hmm. have people behind the scenes that nobody even know about as it pertains to Marshall, who's doing a lot of our database management and automations and mm-hmm. process workflows to help with some of those systems and processes. We have Brian Baker, who's here as our, 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 our chief operating officer to make things sure things go smoothly. We have Sam as the executive belonging. We have Don, like we have all these people that are part of the team behind the scenes that clients sometimes don't even know about, right? Mm-hmm. And that is super helpful to ensure that our real estate agents don't get overwhelmed with stuff that doesn't matter so that they can then focus on loving people in the transaction. They can focus on being that safety net. You know, Grant, people ask me all the time, past clients, so how's it going over there at Stewardship? And what I tell them is that the reason I came over here is because of those things. Mm -hmm. I love it there because these things are true. Yeah, I used to be that agent I just described who (laughs) – I could muscle up and I could get a lot of work done yep. until I couldn't. Mm. And I would take on too much and it would be like drinking from a fire hose. And then my health would suffer. My mm. transactions would suffer. My mm. clients would see it. And yeah. I just didn't have great processes beyond a certain point mm. of busyness. In, in, and real estate kind of ebbs and flows, right? Yeah. One, mm-hmm. one month you might have one or two transactions in escrow and the next month you might have seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and another month, zero. You know, it, it kind of goes up and down. But in those months where you have a ton of work to do, how process-driven you are and what kind of system you have in place to handle all of that really starts to show and shine. Yeah. You know, I um, I think this conversation has been awesome, and especially the way that we're ending with, with the teamwork thing. Um, when you have a team of people that is on the same mission – not just a team of people here to support and be that safety net, but a team of people are genuinely coming together to love somebody through a real estate transaction. And not just say that, but do everything they can to put the customer's needs ahead of their own and then do that in community with other people. Man, beautiful things happen. Mm-hmm. And haven't yeah. we seen it lately in some of the, the client referrals and some of the stories and things that we're hearing uh, I'm having so much fun with this real estate company, and it's been a blast. And it has been a blast being able to do this with you, Mark. And we are absolutely honored that you are a part of this team um, and that you have stepped into this environment to execute all these things that you mentioned and, and now be able to do it with this team. Look, folks, if you're uh, interested in choosing the right realtor, we hope that you consider the stuff that we've talked about. And if you end up choosing us as stewardship, hey, we'd be honored. But if not, We hope that you're able to find somebody who's able to do the things that Mark outlined in this episode. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.